Hello and welcome back to the Second Row Podcast. My name is Parik Kelly and as always I'm joined by Ushin Collins. Hello Parik and we're back for round three of the Pro 14. Some uh, some interesting and tactical squad selections this week. Some more internationals coming back in and a few unexpected results. Some people that literally took a knee. Yeah, absolutely, and just said, this game's not really for us this week. We're going to, we'll get back to you on that. We'll be talking about those games later on, but first, we'll take a look at the news from the week. And first, the women's Interpro results. So after a tightly fought decider, Leinster and Munster drew in Donnybrook, which meant that Leinster lift the trophy on points difference after hammering Connacht and Ulster more than Munster hammered Connacht and Ulster. And speaking of the Western province, uh, they managed to beat their northern sisters by 31 points to 17 to wrap up third place. So Leinster, Munster, Connacht, Ulster. I think you'd probably be happy enough with that as a ranking at the end of the season for the men's game, Porik. Yeah, I know, definitely. <laughs> and they weren't the only Connacht women's team in action. The under-18s won the inaugural Interpro Series at that age group. And I think, if I'm right, the under-18 boys won that as well. Yeah, Connacht have done the double at under-18 level. And next week, both teams and both trophies will be out at halftime with the Scarlet's match. Brilliant. Ah, that's a great result for them. Yeah, and that's what you want to do, keep players in the game and really make a big song and dance when they win trophies like that. Well, it's all about building at a grassroots level for Connacht, so that's a really impressive result. And yeah, recognise it in the sports ground, dead on. Um, The other big results of the weekend was the Rugby Championship. Two big upsets. The All Blacks got knocked over in Wellington by South Africa, 34 points to 36. And Argentina won for the first time on Australian soil, 23 points to 19. Like... After Australia just about getting out of jail against South Africa last week, I think they were probably expecting a home win against the Pumas. Is that why no one showed up? Maybe that was why no one showed up, but probably just as well, because now they can just deny that this ever happens. Like you're going to do about the first game. (laughs) Yeah, so Connacht travelled to Edinburgh on Friday night and got beaten 17 points to 10. Not not your favourite game of the weekend, I'm guessing objectively, it was the worst game of the weekend. (laughs) To be fair, the conditions started out pretty average and deteriorated as the game went on. But that didn't necessarily stop Edinburgh scoring the points that they needed to get a win. But I I imagine that given they controlled most of the possession and territory, they would have expected to get a bonus point. Oh, I expected them to get a bonus point from watching it. But, you know... Clearly, Cockerell has different ideas of where bonus points come from. Yeah, I read about his post-match interview. Apparently, he was waiting until Edinburgh had won a game to start crapping all over the referees. And calling the opposition cheats. Uh, It's up to his old tricks. He's kind of from that school of Fisher-Price mind games. So, on you go, Richie. You have fun. Yeah, everyone's against us type of of stuff. Precisely. Come on. As we're going to see later on, managers with a touch of class... I'll, we we tend to like. You're not wrong. But Connacht didn't really look like they were going to win this game at any point. No, Edinburgh controlled the line share of the possession and territory, but couldn't do anything with the ball. They weren't the only ones, though. Every time Connacht took the ball into contact, they were getting dumped back behind the game line. I mean, I, I'm amazed to say this, but you don't have any line breakers in that team. No, like, so much ball died in the centres. Like, Godwin and Griffin are not a good centre partnership. No, they're not. Bundiaki, when he came on, made more metres with ball in hand per minute than the two centres made. Combined. The, combined. That's just wrong. And his first five touches of the ball were diabolical. Yeah, and in his defence, he did put his hand up on Instagram and say he had a bad game, which is nice to see. It is, and there were some good strengths from this game from both sides. So Edinburgh's scrum was, was pretty good. 
outstanding. They got a lot of penalties and their line-out worked in the main pretty well. Yeah, WP Nell taught a very harsh lesson to Conan O'Donnell. He did. I still thought it was a little harsh pulling him before half-time, but Peter McCabe came on and he did shore that scrum up. All that needs to happen was not get that warning about the scrum. Yeah, maybe. And Iconic did their level best to disrupt, but their defence was really what stood out for me. Like, they were unbelievable in terms of the tackles they were putting in, the work rate. The tight five are outstanding. I, I don't know how many Ultons there were on the pitch. Oh, he had a great game. But our our blitz defence was incredible. Like, we were hitting Edinburgh back so far past the game line, but driving the back as well beyond that. Yeah, and individually some real standout performances from... I mean, Carty was pretty good. O'Halloran just looked rock solid under the high ball. And Paul Boyle, outstanding again. I honestly don't know how you drop Boyle, how he's performing for Copeland when he's fit. I, I just think the answer to that is that you don't. And Robin will go from being stuck behind players at Cardiff to being stuck behind CJ Stander at Munster to potentially being stuck behind Paul Boyle at uh, Connacht. Who doesn't have a professional contract yet. Let's, yeah, okay. Speaking of things that weren't going down so well, Edinburgh didn't have a lot of on-field leadership. And I don't know whether it was a a statement of faith in Jakob van der Waal coming back in at 10 as their kicker versus Simon Hickey, who's been playing so well the last couple of weeks. But not taking simple penalty shots when they're on offer is either madness or arrogance. Um, personally, I think it was madness. You can't give up that many kicks at post. They would have come away with that try bonus point if they had 19 points on the board at halftime. So if they had the lead, Connacht would have just dropped off? Yeah, it just would have been an insurmountable lead. Mm. And the other thing, though, is that when the weather did start deteriorating further, Edinburgh seemed to fade out of it. They didn't have a strong finish to this game. But this has been their problem all season. Their bench doesn't do enough for them. Ours added, whereas Edinburgh's, you wouldn't even tell there was a substitution made. I think with the exception of Magnus Bradbury, who looked industrious enough when he came on. Connacht, equally, I am amazed, amazed that you didn't get a second yellow card. Butler's was stupid enough, but the consistent fouls... Probably should have drawn another um, sanction. From watching the game, I think, firstly, if the breakdown was ref consistently, Edinburgh's penalty count would have been higher as well. Mm. But, yeah, a warning should have come through. But at the end of the day, there's no consistent fouling in any one area. They're just kind of those spotty around-the-pitch penalties. Yeah, you've seen that given from a team perspective. But I guess if the ref can't identify that it's a particular pattern, it's hard to penalise. Still, similar to Edinburgh, I think Connacht just couldn't maintain that intensity. And largely, that's due to the amount of tackles they had to put in in the first half. They just had nothing left in the tank. No, you can't play 80 minutes defending like that. It's impossible. Absolutely not. And moving on to a team that didn't have to do a whole lot of defending, Munster against the Ospreys, also on Friday night. And Munster running out extremely comfortable winners, 49 points to 13. Ospreys might as well have stayed at home. I thought most of them did. I mean, this is what you expected when we saw the team sheet. No George North, no Alan Wynne-Jones, no Justin Tipperick. This was as close to forfeiting a game as I've actually ever seen. The next Welsh person to give out about Irish second teams can go take a running jump. Yeah, and the thing is, 49-13 is a hell of a margin, but there was a number of blown chances by Munster. It could have been a lot more. But you know what? Try bonus point by half time. Job done. Yeah, like the game was over by 60 minutes. All your frontline players got hauled off. You did lose a bit of momentum. It doesn't help when James Hart misses like incredible chances for tries. Oh, it was just, it was on a plate for him. And I think if he had just grabbed the ball with both hands, he would have been fine. 
but instead he tried to tuck the ball under one arm and hand the other guy off and just knock the ball out of his um, out of his grip. You know what? It's one of those things that in the heat of the moment you can see what he's doing, but it wasn't the worst thing to happen over the course of the weekend. <laughs> yeah, true. But you know what? A superb outing for a number of returning players or players getting their first start of the season. Peter O'Mahony, Chris Clutie, Joey Carberry, Ty Byrne, Andrew Conway and Jack O'Toute were all really, really strong. It's a really good sign for Munster, but also if they're not playing, Munster look headless. True. And the question is going to be, how do you balance that over the course of this year with minutes being so tightly managed? There'll need to be a step up in leadership from within that group. And, you know, some players like Chris Clutie is going to get all the game time he wants. Arno both are the same. You know what? I, I'm not too worried about it. And Tommy O'Donnell was, was, was nice as well. He added another dimension to our back row when he came on because he's so explosive as a ball carrier in terms of his turn of pace. And our line-out was consistent throughout the game as well, which was really nice. Yeah, it seems like your tight five and your pack in general improved over the week, which was something you were worried about last week, but became a strength this week. But when you look at Ospreys, Sam Davies looked decent, but his pack was going backwards at a rate of knots. Yeah, and Tom Haberfield in scrum half wasn't really able to, you know vary the game a lot so Sam Davies ended up getting shipped a lot of dirty ball a couple of sevens players in that lineup Sam Cross and Luke Morgan who both represented Team GB at the Olympics they show flashes of of talent but nothing from a consistent perspective and I guess uh, consistency Munster's scrum was still pretty shaky against the second rate Osprey scrum yeah and particularly given how Glasgow did us last week now having said that Jean Klein in the engine room big difference could it just be the second rows not giving you enough ballast? I think so. And when we talk about going into like the frontline performances, we're going to have Jean Klein and Todd Byrne, who are both monsters. You're going to have CJ Stander back at eight, and he adds a lot of power to that scrum. So I'm not panicking, but it is a concern. And another concern for you yeah. is all the injuries to Tighthead. But if you're a third and fourth string Tighthead, you're in trouble. Absolutely, and watching Stephen Archer and John Ryan both go off with injuries and scrums go to uncontested is a, a serious concern. Yes, there is that, but your your breakdown work again needs to needs to improve. How do you mean? The pace at rock time wasn't good enough. You know, like between an accurate and slow clearing out and Williams being awful at getting the ball away. Yeah, he's basically like an old age pensioner, like rummaging for ripe avocados. He is so slow getting a ball out of a rook. Bad sign when he still monsters go to at this stage. Very concerning. And the sooner that we get Abby Matheson onto a pitch, the better from my perspective. Speaking, though, of an Ospreys side who we knew weren't going to be able to stand up, you do want the senior players who were there to perform. And one guy who stood out as just being way below the level I've seen him play at and expect of him, James Hook. Like his tackling was appalling. For a player with his skills, that wasn't a good day at the office. And we will move sharply on to Saturday's games. And to be fair, the quality of games massively improved on Saturday. Yeah. Certainly from a competitiveness perspective. First up, Scarlets against Benetton. 38 to 29. Try bonus points for everybody in the audience. What a ripper of a game. Four tries within 15 minutes. The handling, the offloading, and the lines ran from both teams was impeccable. And the only downside of that was James Davies joins the incredibly, incredibly long injury list of the Scarlets. Apparently, they just have one of those World War II tents where they just bring people into now at this stage. <laughs> they need Florence Nightingale on their medical staff. It's just crazy. Um, funny thing was, after that crazy 15-minute start, it was all Benetton, but... 
then as happens red card changes oh. the game completely it was a correct call elbow made contact with the head yeah you can't really dispute it no it's just i really like kieran crowley's interview afterwards he didn't throw the ref under the bus he pretty much said the players were warned and it was like fair enough he got the red yeah and we've spoken before about benetton's ability to manage under a yellow card they actually managed the red card pretty well they they weren't completely out of the game they were playing narrow enough but pressing up to try and cut out the scarlets as quickly as they could so it didn't go too wide they scored two tries also they scored two tries including one of my favourite moments of the weekend when Tom Pridey ran face first into the post protector. He literally laughed for 10 minutes solid while watching the highlights. <laughs> for the third time. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's also not really a great sign for Scarlets when you're down Reese Priestland and Dan Jones is playing so badly that he gets fished off at 47 minutes and replaced with Sam Hidalgo Klein. Widely known scrum half. Yeah, that's just not good enough. Benetton then, not content with the challenge they had set themselves, decided to get a yellow card on 50 minutes. But once again, they show their impeccable ability to manage these situations, only in conceding one try and at the death of the 10 minutes period. And you know what? From there, I think Benetton started to tire. They had to do a huge amount of work and Scarlets eked their way back into the game. But at the end of it, Benetton were one conversion kick away from getting a losing bonus point and a try bonus point away to last year's beaten finalists. Like, what a season they're having. Watching that match didn't look like second v fifth in the conference with, what, 199 points difference between them? Yeah, it was incredible. If, if you look at it on paper, this should be Scarlet's absolutely destroying Benetton, but this is a very different proposition coming out of Italy. True, and let's talk strengths. And that's aided by Tommaso Allen's impressive performances. He looks so composed. Every time he gets the ball, he seems to... And it, it, it would look indecisive sometimes in that he'll get the ball and then cut back to the other side of the rock. But then you realise he's in acres of space and he's putting the ball where his players are. He's just making really good decisions. And you're aided in doing that when your pack is at least competitive in the collisions. And both of the packs were really impressive in this game. Scarlet's have always had a good pack. But to see Benetton come on like this is phenomenal. Another player that's kicked on like Tommaso Allen is Gareth Davies. Like, was really sharp on Saturday, ran some really good lines. And seems to be making better decisions because he was always nippy, but stupid. And he's doing less of that now, which is great. All right. But there really wasn't much outside him. 10, 12, 13. Yeah. In particular, Hadley Parks, who I'm a huge fan of, was really poor today. And with both him and Dan Jones getting hauled up before the end of the game... And the guys coming on for them not doing much either. It was pretty much down to Gareth Davies and the back three to, to create anything. And a lot of it was just off transition. One, it's hard to be creative when you're 10, 12, 13 aren't firing. And two, that is down to Benton and how well they they disrupted everything. True. And they were just a little bit careless with discipline, which is a theme we will return to again before the end of this pod. But what we will do is move on to Leinster v Dragons. Yeah, in the RDS, in the sun... Perfect conditions, and only 52 points to 10. What are you doing, Leinster? It took them so long to get going. And I think part of that was, again, a couple more combinations coming back into that Leinster team. But credit where it's due, this is the best the Dragons have played all season. They actually managed to hang on to the ball. They managed to pull together 22 phases of possession, which which ultimately came to nothing. (laughs) And if they weren't absolutely inept, Leinster might have been in trouble. 
Well, there's that. Like, and the thing is, with Leinster getting those injection of internationals back in, the likes of Sexton, the likes of having Henshaw and Ringrose back in, like, Ringrose was quality. Everyone for Leinster decided we'll just have an offload party for the first half. The ball was just flying around. They were no rooks. No. <laughs> um, and Enjoy- sp- Enjoyable to watch, but like seriously, come on. Yeah, and again, I think one of the few things that the Dragons had holding their heads above water once Leinster started to put the foot down was Ross Moriarty just being that incredible, disruptive physical presence. And then he continued to be Ross Moriarty. And turned into a world-class shithouse. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. It is a soft yellow. Johnny Sexton must be so sick of being hit late at this stage. Yeah, there's only so many more of those hits he's going to be able to take. And Leinster did turn it on in the second half because that was what they had to do. And the Dragons forgot how to play rugby in the second half because that's what they do. No, Leinster went into second gear in the second half. Yeah. And Dragons kept on being Dragons. Look, there, there wasn't a whole lot to talk about in terms of the run-through of this game. But strengths, weaknesses... Johnny Sexton is just head and shoulders ahead of anybody else playing 10 in this league. Even at, you know, cruise control, he's just outstanding. Like, I think the variation of his play is what's so exceptional. You don't know if the ball is going inside, if it's going back out wide, if he's going to take it to the line himself. And he scores his points, not like, you know, certain 10s in the Southern Hemisphere. And he was really helped by just one of the best games I've ever seen Jamison Gibson Park playing. Like, his passing was pulling guys onto running lines. It was excellent. And also helps when he gets a couple of tries, gets a few assists. Yeah, and, I mean, don't get me wrong, he'll come out next week and be garbage. It's great to see him still be consistently inconsistent. The other nice thing, I think, from Leinster, as you mentioned, was the offloading out of contact was just really good to watch, keeping the ball alive. And, I guess, strengths from the Dragon side, they were less Dragons-y than last week. Yeah. But, you know, we look at the weak, the flip side of that and the weaknesses of both teams. You know, Leinster's lineout was poor. I'd put that down to personnel changes and first-time combinations, but still. It should be first-time combinations that are improving the lineout in a lot of ways, though. The return of James Ryan to the second row, Sean Cronin, who's pretty much their starting hooker. And, you know, you'd be a little bit concerned, I think. They'd want to sort that out. And Rob Kearney wasn't exactly rolling back the years. A pretty error-strewn performance. And the thing is, he's not a creator. And after having a few matches of Larmer at 15, people are kind of going, oh, the ball's just stopped now. Yeah, I, I think Rob Kearney is still knocking out unbelievable performances. I just think they're coming in a green shirt more than they're coming in a blue shirt. And I don't mean that gack camouflage second kit. <laughs> that looks like poo. It does look like poo. Uh, speaking of poo, dragons. They, they really need to start getting something, anything out of games. Because at this rate, I actually don't think Bernard Jackman is going to make it to Christmas. It's just not good enough. Like, he actually has some very talented players at, at his disposal. Well, he's got a dozen or so Welsh internationals. He's got a couple of British and Irish Lions. He needs to start getting, at a minimum, losing bonus points from these games. I mean, don't get me wrong. This was always going to be a whitewashing of some of, of some outstanding standards. But got to do better. Yeah, the only shock there was they didn't put 70 up. Yeah, true. Um, another game that was a high-scoring encounter on the high veld, Cheetahs against Glasgow, and Glasgow getting the away win, 52 points to 24. Seriously, all Glasgow. Such a fast start to the game. Yeah, they're really turning it on at the moment, and to be fair, they were going try for try for the first while. The Cheetahs got a couple of stunning kick-ahead tries against the run of play, just raw pace on a flat, dry track. So... 
they scored the most cheatesy tries in the world possible. Yeah, but you know what? It made for a really enjoyable game. I call this as my one to watch for the weekend because I figured it might be like this. Two teams throwing the ball around. And I think one thing that's worth recognising, in a weekend with some dubious refereeing, Frank Murphy played a blinder. He just made some really good calls. You can tell he's been reffing since he was a scrum half at Connacht. <laughs> yeah, I, I think my favourite one was, you know when a scrum half is trying to buy a penalty by dinging the ball off a, a slow player returning back? So that happened. Um, George Horn did that right in front of the posts. And Frank Murphy was like, scrum. So then the guy's like, why? And Murphy goes, because you were holding him on the ground back there. <laughs> so, so it's like, you were in possession, so I'll let you restart the game. But don't don't try and play that crap with me. <laughs> it was really good. It was smart, kind of com- like empathetic refereeing, which I really like. But, you know, he did get the cards out. Yeah, and it was punished immediately by Tommy Seymour going over after a really great break from Ali Price. And then Price got one for himself. And then DTH Vandermeer went over in the corner. 21 points. They're lethal when they get ahead of steam like that. But, you know, at least for cheaters, they came out of this with a try bonus point. Yeah, and Glasgow might be a little bit disappointed at conceding four tries, particularly given that it is an in-conference game. And this was a side who was in the playoffs at the end of last year. But uh, Glasgow just, you know, eased out of sight after that and got a couple more tries on the board. This was a game that Glasgow were going to highlight all their strengths. Their interplay and basic skills are just so, so good. Yeah, you'd argue they're not doing anything particularly clever, but they're just doing everything they do very well. And equally, their halfbacks are so creative. Like, Ali Price and George Horn when he came on, and Gavin Hastings' kid at 10 is just ripping it up. It's very much Finn who at the moment. Finn? Finn? Don't know any Finn. <laughs> and they're consistently better at doing all that stuff as well. Yeah, this not is Not when he decides to do it. <laughs> not when his brain is leaking out of his ears. The cheetahs, I guess, from this game good kick ahead good kick chase good counter-attacking game which is the strength we know they have they just need to get a little bit better at the structured form of the game and again fitness was an issue discipline was an issue set piece was an issue they're not going to reach the highs of last season if they keep if they keep that up no because people are wise to you know their trickery and their their quick kick throughs at this stage they really are and you know when you look at glasgow and trying to keep up a high standard a tackle percentage of 85% isn't good enough. This is it. And that's how you end up conceding a try bonus point against these guys. you got to make your hits. And they didn't. And we'll move on to the final match of Saturday evening. And that was Zebra v Cardiff. And oh my God, what a game. For all the different reasons than the previous one. <laughs> yeah, so this one wrapped up 26 points to Zebra, 24 points to Cardiff. But I nearly turned this off 10 minutes in. Yeah, Cardiff were 21-0 up at the 10-minute mark and then decided they thought they had the game won and switched off. It's like they all went out the back to the smoking shed and just didn't come back for 90 minutes. It's scary how poor their concentration is. Yeah, and at this point, there is a real, whether it's coaching or whether it's game mentality issue, but you don't lose your first three games of the season the way they have without there being something very wrong. You know, for example, first game, they lost to Leinster with a last-minute penalty. No shame in that. Leinster are a good team, but they still should have closed it out. And in week two, letting Benetton into a game after being ahead. And losing it with the last play of the game. Again. Yep. And this week, coughing up a 21-point lead and losing the game with the last kick. Don't get me wrong. Zebre were looking impressive on the counter-attack. 
which is easy to do when you get to do that every phase when Cardiff just throw the ball forward. And they were doing a lot of offloading, and a better team would have punished them because they weren't sticking the offload. No, Zebra had a lot of ambition, and they played with a lot of flair, mm. but they don't have the skill set to go with it. But you know what? They got the result today, and I guess to add insult to injury, after Zebra get their fourth try, wrap up the win, wrap up a try bonus point, Cardiff can't even get the restart to go 10 metres. The heads must be gone. It's shocking stuff. And there are strengths within that team. Like, Josh Navidi was an animal at the breakdown. Yeah, huge physicality from him. But he was one of the only shiny lights across the whole team. It was scary. Yeah, and on the other side, Carlo Canna is watching Tommaso Allen at Benetton, and the two of them are engaged in an elaborate mission of anything you can do, I can do better. He just reads the game so well, and his passing is impeccable. His own try was a really good example of that, because he started that movement, that sweeping movement, and he just copped that he could create the overlap and came out the back to get the pass. But the problem with Zebra is they're just so ill-disciplined. And again, not the worst side for discipline we saw this weekend, but probably second worst. Um, they need to get their penalty count down because other teams, better teams, will punish them and will shut out games against them if they play like that. And, you know, just to finish off one, just to bash... Just Car- one little minor point. Just to bash Cardiff over the head once again. Stop n- losing. Especially when, like, they brought on Nick Williams from the bench to shore up things. You know, they... It's not as if their bench weren't good players. Next time, and this is a controversial idea, Cardiff, next time you're winning a game, keep doing the things that you were doing that made you be winning instead of exploding all over the pitch. Games last 80 plus minutes, not 78. Yeah. Shocking. And games that you wish didn't play the full 80. On Sunday, Southern Kings hosted Ulster and got beaten 28 points to 7. Which is not the result that we expected. I mean, it was played in front of the crowd we expected. I was listening to the the match commentary. They had tickets for this game on sale for £2.50. And I think there was more people on the Lewis last week. The Kings have a lot of work to do to really build a fan base. Look, they're in a 46,000-seater stadium. And I mean, it looked like there was about 460 people in the crowd. Even in a 4,600 stadium, it would have been empty. Yeah, and Ulster had a bit of bad luck in this game. They lost Will Addison before the game. He pulled out with an injury, and he's been a real source of creativity for them. And then John Cooney got a nasty gash to the head, went off for a blood sub, but never came back on. Yeah, I've seen a picture of that. It looks like he'll be sporting a Yankees haircut because like, it's such a giant gash. Ouch. But you know what? The thing that defined this game more than anything else was just the, frankly, shameful discipline from the Southern Kings and then Ulster more or less stooping to their level and being beaten by experience. Firstly, like how many last warnings can a team get? Oh my god, the refereeing was embarrassingly bad. And I don't like knocking referees. I probably do it more often than I would like to be accused of. But this guy was dreadful. Like I think it was only his second ever professional game that he'd refed, and it showed. But that's when you need your ARs to step in and try and give a bit of support. Like Ben Whitehouse was on one of the touchlines, and... You know, if you're looking for a man to be whistle happy, that's the dude. Because, <laughs> you know, he's your favourite. Like, three yellow cards by half time, and two of them for Ulster, who got done for two more cynical fouls. I don't know how the Kings only got one yellow card in this game. It is astonishing to me. Ulster are the only people allowed to be angry at refs after this weekend. Yeah, they need to be angry with themselves as well, though. It's it's frankly ridiculous not to get a tri-bonus point when you're playing the Kings. Did you know that it's only the third time Kings have matched prevent a tri-bonus point? Get out. 
Really? Yeah. Only previously to the Dragons has that happened. Oh, God. Ulster, this is not a good look for you. Strengths in this game? What stood out? The sun was shining. You wouldn't tell from the number of knock-ons. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of players on the Ulster team were okay. Alan O'Connor, Darren Cave, McCluskey all looked pretty decent. And some of the younger players in the pack, this is a step up in level, even if it's the Kings. Yeah. Didn't embarrass themselves. No. Kutsia looked really good, to be fair. He he took a lot of credit from this game. Carried well. Got his try. Was a menace at the breakdown. Which is what everyone is expecting of him, given how much time Ulster have put into the physio room with him. Yeah, and they just want him to stay fit this year. And I really hope he does. I, I just love watching him play. We'll flip to the weaknesses of both teams here. And yes, there were some good performances. But ultimately, Ulster's finishing just wasn't good enough. No, they, they look a different side of the Addison. Peter Nelson is a competent player, but he's just not an able replacement in terms of providing that creative spark. And amazingly, Ulster haven't actually scored a first half try yet this season. Better teams are going to crucify them for that. Well, they're just not going to be able to beat better teams. Like Even better teams who aren't playing very well will defend more competently than the Kings. The under-16s of most teams defend more competently than the Kings. Yeah, and I, th- I think one of the worst parts of this game for me was just, particularly it wasn't being punished, but the level of indiscipline from the Kings was just, it was actually really unpleasant to watch. Like, there was no effort being made to play the game legally. They just didn't care. It just ruins games as a spectacle, and if they're trying to build up a fan base, they should focus on one thing to fix, and that is one. Yeah, Absolutely. So that's the weekend's games. We now move on to our second row top performer and clown of the round. Pork, you've got our top performer. Who have you gone for? I've gone for Adam Hastings. He had an incredible game. He was flawless off the tee. Great contestable kicks. Opens the scoring in Bloemfontein with a try after 70 seconds. He was central to everything Glasgow did well. It, it, it is as big a compliment as you can pay that Glasgow aren't noticing the absence of one of their star players last year. This kid is just has, he's just got everything. And taking over the kicking duties from Stuart Hogg this week didn't phase him. Happy days. Buckets of potential and a high and a really high ceiling. Definitely. So you've gone and picked the clown the round. Yeah, and, and we had a couple of candidates, but this week I've gone for Duhan van der Merve for kind of the clowniest moment where with absolutely no pressure on, he gets a pass from Blair Kinghorn, try line at his mercy, and a guy who was putting away tries for fun last year. Just like, woof, ball's gone. It was actually easier to score it than what he did. I had to watch the replay a couple of times to try and figure out what happened. I mean, I think maybe he was trying to not, I don't know. Drop the ball? Well, ironically, that didn't happen, did it? (laughs) Uh, So, Duhan, unfortunately, you've picked it up this week, you big idiot. That is round three dealt with. Let's move on to round four. Okay, first up on Friday night, Ulster, with a really short turnaround, are up on the high veld against the Cheetahs. I think that's going to be a tough game. If if the Ulster of this week and the Cheetahs of this week come out, that's a win for the South African side. With the tour of South Africa that Ulster are on and the squad they brought over, I'd say everyone had this pinpointed before performances as a Cheetahs win. Maybe, and it was probably relying on having got a five-pointer at the Kings game, though. So they may need to go out and try and target this, and hopefully they'll have a few players back into the team, like Will Addison and not Rory Best, but... Fingers crossed for Ulster getting a result there, I think. Also on Friday night, Cardiff host Munster. Yes, and Cardiff will try and avoid losing four games in a row in what will be a pretty unimpressive start to the season. Uh, I don't see them winning this. Nope. And that wraps up Friday. Uh, On Saturday, Glasgow continue their tour down in the Southern Hemisphere against the Kings. Glasgow, 
how much by it's literally that's the only thing Glasgow by however much they want <laughs> like it doesn't matter come yeah. on cricket score yep you've got an interesting home game then on Saturday afternoon Scarlet's come to Galway yeah we really need a win out of that it's going to be tough like I think the team need the win okay you know what we talked about Ulster in the first game of the season getting the Scarlet's at the right time probably the same thing they're a bit beaten up from last week and they may be vulnerable here's hoping they don't travel well yeah, you're going to lose that, though. You know that, right? Go away. <laughs> and this is the match I'm going to send you to watch. No, no, no veto. I'm not watching this. <laughs> uh, Dragons v Zebra are on, on at the exact same time as Con Scarlet's. Can I watch the highlights? The trilights. Well, I mean, that might be very short, though. There you go. Yeah, that's not going to be a good game. Um, So Zebra are probably going to win it, and then Bernard Jackman's going to get fired. Dragons surely have to win that. No, Zebra are going to win that one. <laughs> Okay, then. If they lose it, I will officially take credit for cursing Zebra. There's no way Dragons win that game. Then we get to Saturday night games and Leinster host Edinburgh. You'd imagine that's going to be a fairly comfortable win for Leinster. Especially if they even start half the players that started this week. Yeah, although Edinburgh will be coming for them. They, they've had a couple of strong performances over the last couple of weeks. So that could be a little bit competitive. But I just don't see Edinburgh having enough to turn over Leinster at home. Especially if they work out the kinks from this week. Yeah, you're not wrong. And at the same time as that, Ospreys host Benetton. Which, for me, is my game of the round. I think that's going to be super competitive. I think the Italians are going to go there off the back of narrowly, narrowly not getting a result they wanted in Clinically. And I just think that's going to be a really competitive game, particularly if the Ospreys pick their full team, which presumably they will because they rested them this week. Yeah, you're right. Like even for me, that seems to be the pick the pick of the week. I've a personal stake in Connacht v Scarlets. I'll be down there, but I'll be definitely making sure I'm in a pub to see Ospreys and Benetton. So that's our pick for the weekend. Get yourself in front of a telly on Saturday night. That is going to be a cracker. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back with you next week to discuss all the results from round four. Don't forget, we're available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, SoundCloud, Acast, Stitcher, and all podcast apps. And please do rate, like, and subscribe to the podcast. If you want to give us feedback, you will find us on facebook.com slash the second row. You'll see us as well on Instagram and Twitter, where we're at the second row. That's 2ND, not the word second. So until next time, take care and goodbye. Thanks, everybody. Mm-hmm.